Continuing in our series in Leviticus, we come this morning to Leviticus chapter 17. Our New Testament complementary passage is John's Gospel, chapter 6, verses 41 through 59. So with your Bibles open to Leviticus chapter 17, in honor of God's word, please stand. Leviticus 17, hear God's word. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons and to all the people of Israel, and say to them, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. If anyone of the house of Israel kills an ox or a lamb or a goat in the camp, or kills it outside the camp, and does not bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting to offer it as a gift to the Lord in front of the tabernacle of the Lord, blood guilt shall be imputed to that man. He has shed blood, and that man shall be cut off from among his people. This is to the end that the people of Israel may bring their sacrifices that they sacrifice in the open field, that they may bring them to the Lord, to the priest, at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and sacrifice them as sacrifices of peace offerings to the Lord. And the priest shall throw the blood on the the altar of the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting and burn the fat for a pleasing aroma to the Lord. So they shall no more sacrifice their sacrifices to goat demons, after whom they whore. This shall be a statute forever for them throughout their generations. And you shall say to them, Any one of the house of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn among them, who offers a burnt offering or sacrifice and does not bring it to the tent, to the entrance of the tent of meeting to offer it to the Lord, that man shall be cut off from his people. If any one of the house of Israel or of the strangers who sojourns among them eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Therefore I have said to the people of Israel, No person among you shall eat blood, neither shall any stranger who sojourns among you eat blood. And any one also of the people of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn among them who takes in hunting any beast or bird that may be eaten shall be, shall pour out its blood and cover it with earth. For the life of every creature is its blood. Its blood is its life. Therefore I have said to the people of Israel, you shall not eat the blood of any creature. For the life of every creature is its blood. Whoever eats it shall be cut off, and every person who eats what dies of itself or what is torn by beasts, whether he is a native or a sojourner, shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water, and he shall be unclean until the evening, then he shall be clean. But if he does not wash them or bathe his flesh, he shall bear his iniquity. As far in the reading of God's word, please turn to John's Gospel, chapter 6, beginning in verse 41, and continuing in the reading of God's word. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who has sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed amongst themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not as the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Thus far in the reading of God's word, let us pray. Father, we have read, now we come to hear. Lord, we pray that you would speak for your servants to listen. Show us our Savior, show us life and the path in which we walk. In Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. So the grand story of the Old Testament, beginning in Genesis, all the way at the very beginning, how this world came to be, how everything around us came to be the way that it is. Not only created, but also fallen. The sin, the leprosy, the way back home, the way in which reconciliation can can occur. This glorious day that is revealed in chapter 16. The Day of Atonement. Yom Kippur. This glorious day-long celebration of God holy and pure and without sin saying, you are forgiven and you are my people. And now I want you to be a kingdom of priests. I want you to be a holy nation. I want you to reflect my holiness in your wilderness. And so our first question becomes, okay, what does that look like? Because have you ever heard, you know, some people have the stench of holiness about them? (laughs) There are some people that are just so holy that you really don't enjoy being around them. There's, There's this idea of pure holiness and and. All of that means you're always finding something to criticize or finding something that you don't like about something or someone. But let's go back to the Bible and what the Bible says holiness looks like. Because that's the second half of the book of Leviticus. From chapter 17 all the way through, really into Numbers chapter 9, we're going to see what God desires for his holy people to look like. How God wants his people to live. 
And in this passage, I want you to note three things. I want you to see three things. What holiness looks like. First, holiness is being given completely to God. Secondly, holiness is being completely cut off from sin. We are dedicated to God and we are cut off from sin. And then thirdly, and this incorporates John's gospel, you and I, out of this text, see that holiness is union. With Christ. So, devoted to God. The visual here, you know, if you're, if you're looking for a visual retelling of what's happening here, it's probably a two minute sermon. Anybody who kills an ox, a lamb, or a goat needs to bring it to the tent of meeting, offer it as a peace offering, and then they can go back and eat that lamb or goat, or ox. And if they are hunting out in the field, whatever they kill, they need to let all the blood out, and they need to bury it in the ground. And that's the clear command here. The question is, why? And the answer also is in the text. Because God repeats it over and over and over in the text. You heard it. (laughs) You can probably tell me. Just from the reading of the text. The life is in the blood. It's a sacred thing. It's a sacred thing for God. This act of an animal dying so that you and I might be nourished is itself a means of grace. Because I want you to imagine the life of the Israelite. How often, as a nomadic herder, are you going to have an ox, a lamb, or a goat for dinner? Probably very occasionally. And each one, typically, is going to be associated with some festivity. It's somebody's birthday. It's somebody's anniversary. It's somebody's wedding. It's somebody's whatever. Every single time an opportunity for you to go to God and say, thank you that I'm reconciled. Thank you that I'm at peace. Every single opportunity for the conscientious Israelite For the one who understands the spiritual dimension, the spiritual fabric here of all of these pictures, of all of these outward actions, each opportunity, an opportunity to reflect, to reflect on sin and what sin does, the curse the, the death, the pain, all of these things that we have a hand in as we kill the animal. And yet, the nourishment. This weird, 
this weird thing that is both sacrifice and joy, that is both a reminder of pain and the fall and the means of life. This this strange thing, this ritual that we go through every time we eat meat. An opportunity for the conscientious Israelite to live quorum Deo. To live a life of thanksgiving. To live a life that recognizes that all of this blood that is drenching the altar, all of this blood that is pouring out from all of these sacrifices, all of this blood that even I have a hand in, all of it is a reminder not just that we live in a broken and jacked up world, but also the reminder that there is healing, that there is atoning grace and mercy, and that the atoning blood of the perfect Jesus Christ, the perfect spotless Lamb of God, brings us peace. And so the Israelite in this chapter is exhorted, to be completely dedicated to God in this matter of their animals. Even finding something that has died out in the field. It's a personal and private thing. And yet, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to show your love, your devotion, and appreciation. But to be devoted to God, secondly, means to be cut off from sin. And you see that in verses 7 and following. They shall no more sacrifice their sacrifices to goat demons after whom they whore. This shall be a statute forever for them throughout their generations. Now this goat demons is an interesting phrase. Nobody really knows exactly what it means. Some people just say demons. Uh, Some people think that it is related to one of the specific Egyptian deities uh, that that is, is part of the pantheon there. I think particularly if we read this in light of chapter 16 and what God has just revealed to us in chapter 16, that goat in chapter 16, that scapegoat that is sent away from the presence of God and out into the chaos, Eden at the heart of the tabernacle, Eden right there in the Holy of Holies, and the chaos and darkness outside the camp. And that goat is sent out there. I think what God is saying here is that the entire pantheon is just regarded as goat demons to him. Filthy purveyors of sin. Anything that you will sacrifice to. And it's interesting, one of the things with with most of the non-Christian religions that are out there, those who engage in idolatry tend to idolize what they fear. They make their gods 
out of the things that they are most afraid of. An example is the Egyptian god of the dead, the jackal. And the reason that they gave sacrifices to the Egyptian god of the dead, who is the jackal, is because they didn't want jackals to come and disturb the gravesite. They were seeking to placate what they fear most. And beloved, that's what you and I do constantly. When we focus in on those things that will separate us from God, when we focus in on those things that we will worship in such a way that they themselves just become goat demons, that separation unto God must also be a simultaneous no to sin, a simultaneous no to corruption and leprosy and unholiness in your heart and in my heart. Here's the the quiet Israelite alone on his hunt. In verse 13, that careful recognition. Anyone also of the people of Israel, of the strangers who sojourn among them, who takes in hunting any beast or bird that may be eaten, shall pour out its blood and cover it with earth. No one's there around them. Nobody's watching. They're out there on the hunt. But here it is. A quiet, personal time. To be diligent about your faith. (laughs) To be diligent about, I'm going to pour this blood out and I'm going to bury it so that there's no hint of any idolatry in my life. And when we see how this looks in practice, we can see both how these are such gifts. They're such means of grace. Such opportunities as God calls us to remember what this blood is about. As God calls us to regularly remind ourselves who we are, reconciled in Him. Worship is that. Worship. The first day of the week. You and I get to start this week. I don't know what you did last week. But I know that you and I get to start this week. With a word of peace from God. With a word of healing. A word of comfort and hope. And as we go from Sabbath to Sabbath to Sabbath, as we seize these means of grace, as we seize these glorious opportunities, both in the word preached and in the word tasted, as we seize these things, we are nourished in them. We see in John how Jesus Christ took this very image and brought it into himself. He takes takes the very image of that thing which nourishes us simultaneously being that thing 
that represents the sin, that represents the death, that represents the curse. And Jesus says, you got to look at me. Your fathers ate that bread and they died, but I'm giving you the eternal bread, the bread that will make you live. And that lamb whose blood was poured out in the ground or there at the altar, Jesus uses that very imagery and says, you must be nourished on me. Now that passage has gotten a lot of weird comments. That passage has gotten people to go in a lot of weird directions. But I believe here is what that passage in John is saying unequivocally. That passage in John's Gospel is saying that unless your very life is communing with Jesus, feeding upon Him, feeding on Him, in His Word, feeding on Him by His Spirit, feeding on Him in your daily disciplines, even using these little things as means of grace to remind us, these little moments in our lives, feeding on Him, being nourished by Him, being united to Him by faith, His vicarious atonement, beloved. His dying for you. When I say dying for you, hear it clearly in your place. Jesus bore God's wrath that rightly should come down upon you and me. He bore it. He bore it in all of its intensity, all of its fury. And he says, if you are united to him, if you are with him, then you know this peace. Not a ritual that had to be renewed every year. Not a ritual that had to be renewed every time we had a wedding or a graduation or a funeral and killed an ox or a lamb or a goat. But that once for all and perfect union that Jesus Christ offers, not for price. Well, there is a price. The price is your life. It will cost you your very life. It will cost you all. But beloved, it gives you back. He gives you back. Glory and peace and reconciliation. And so each one of these pictures... The picture of the blood being poured out. The picture of the sacrifice. Each one of these pictures become their own means of grace. Their own way in which the child of God in the Old Testament can be reminded of who they are. Reminded of that reconciliation. And fed and nourished. Father, truly, life is in the blood. In the blood of Jesus Christ, there is life, there is forgiveness, there is healing and hope and promise, encouragement and comfort and security. Father, help us this week 
to radiate just a little bit better. Reflect the beauty of having been in your presence, having heard from our Savior, and being encouraged in our journey. In Christ's name.